Joe Cook has served as a pastor, church planter, worship leader, and conference speaker. He serves on a variety of community and nonprofit boards and strives to keep his finger on the pulse of the community. He's not the pastor of a mega church, a big church, or even a large church. Joe serves as one of America's median-sized churches with an average attendance of around 70 people, but that doesn't mean his church is unable to make a difference in both their community and the world. Thanks for joining us on this episode as we talk about small church, big impact. This is the Doorways Leadership and Influence Network podcast. I'm Krista Hoke, and we are really glad to have you with us. We hope you'll enjoy our show as we talk about healthy leadership that we believe is best expressed and most effective through influence. Are you ready? Let's get started. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so glad you're here for Season 2, Episode 4 with Joe Cook. He's a bivocational pastor of Hope Church in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. He's been preaching, teaching, and bringing encouragement through the gifts God has invested in him for over 27 years. Now, the ultimate goal of influencing people with a message of God's love is the passion of his heart. Joe and his wife, Danielle, have four children and are excited to welcome their first grandchild in just a couple of months. Before we get into our conversation with Joe, I'd like to remind you that your feedback is important to us. If you have a suggestion for a guest or a topic, please let us know. You can drop us an email at info at doorways.cc, and we'll see how to incorporate that into our podcast schedule. Again, that email address is info at doorways.cc. We really would appreciate both your feedback and your input. Joe Cook, we've actually connected. Your schedule is so insane. I was not sure we'd be able to even make it work. My schedule is pretty intense. There's a lot of activity going on. There's a lot of stuff to do. I uh, look around each day and notice all the things that are sometimes left undone. And I don't want to say I feel guilty, but I certainly feel energized to continue on. I mentioned earlier that you're a bivocational pastor. In case there are those that don't understand that term, it means that in addition to serving as the lead pastor of your church, you have a full-time job too. Can you tell us briefly about your job as best I understand it, in business development. If you don't mind, I'd make a statement briefly about bivocational. You know, bivocational is probably where the majority of pastors in America served. I don't know that I've looked at the statistics recently, but in the past, many, many pastors work a secular job as well as serve in their church communities. And so it's not an uncommon thing. It maybe seems a bit of common to some of us, my role in business development, it, it's a divergent role, not at all ministry specific. I work for a fiber optics cabling manufacturer. I'm a subject matter expert on a type of a networking solution. I work primarily with, well, all the three-letter agencies, NSA, DIA, CIA, FBI, all the various scary terms that we hear sometimes or terms that, that cause us to pause. But I I sell a lot of product into the government space. Uh, We do a lot of stuff with the Defense Department, uh, war fighting, tactical stuff, uh, just a lot of really cool stuff. But that's what I do. I work with a lot of engineers and architects and other nerds who specify some of the best products that uh, our military and our government use. Well, in the past, you've had some extensive travel involved in this position. Are you still traveling as much as you did pre-COVID? I'm not traveling as much as I did pre-COVID, but I am traveling more. I have trips coming up just this month to Tampa, to San Diego, then to Fort Worth. Being the pastor of a church, even if 70 people, is no small job. 
you still have to prepare your messages weekly, just as the pastor of a larger church would have to do. There are still staff meetings, there are board meetings, committee meetings, there's pastoral counselor, wedding, counseling, rather, uh, weddings, funerals, the list goes on and on and on. How do you balance serving as a pastor and working full time? A lot of people ask questions about how do you do what you do? I've had that question posed to me countless times on all those items that you mentioned and many more. I always reflect on what the Apostle Paul said very often as he would introduce himself or as he would describe some of his uh, challenges or obstacles or encounters that he faced. And he would often say, according to the grace that's given unto me, I don't know that there's a method that anybody could replicate. I think it's a God-given, unique distribution of his grace that he deposits in my life specifically. I think that grace is meted out according to whatever the need is at the time, whatever the need is at the moment. You know, this just this past week, I've, I've done several of the things that you described on that list. To God be the glory, uh, we've seen uh, people's lives impacted and touched and uh, also had a great Sunday service and great response from the people and the Spirit of God was exalted and God received glory. So, I mean, uh, we're doing all these things. And in addition to that, I had 19 Zoom calls or uh, oh conference gosh. calls work-related. So it's a constant change and a lot of opportunities to stay prayed up and focused. Yeah. So, but how do you find balance? Because you also have a personal life too. You've got four kids, you got three sons and a daughter. Two of the sons are married. The one is expecting a baby soon. The daughter, she, she can be getting married soon too. I don't know. The youngest son plays a lot of basketball. How do you find balance for your personal life? So I had a I had a great minister friend share with me many years ago. I I just reached out to him. I, I hadn't really ever interacted with him, but I but I heard him speak at an event, and he was gracious enough to let me buy him coffee one day. And so I met him whenever he was in the same vicinity, and I asked him some questions, and and he was really good with one liners. He was good with uh, immediate responses, and. We were talking about how to be effective in ministry. And he told me, he said, there are four groups of people primarily that God will have you minister to. He said, they're the VIPs, uh, the very important people. These are your leaders today. These are the people who don't require a lot of your time and energy, but just an occasional acknowledgement. They're the VTPs. Those are the very teachable people. Those are the people that uh, are able to learn. They're able to grow. Those are people that you should be mentoring and working with. They're the very fun people. He said, this would kind of be Lazarus. He said, you don't ever hear anything about Lazarus doing a whole lot for Jesus. He never did any great miracles or exploits or preached or led any churches, but Jesus liked him. He loved hanging around with him. He said, so the VFPs are the people who invite you on vacation and let you use their boat to go fishing, offer you their timeshare for a little quick getaway with you and your family on the weekend. <laughs> and he said, then there are the VNPs or the VDPs, the very needy people or the very draining people. And he said, those are the kind of people that will oftentimes uh, want to monopolize your time. And if you're not careful, if you don't establish appropriate boundaries, you'll end up with a church full of VNPs or VDPs, because what can happen so often is you get your own emotional needs met by ministering to those people who are needy because they tell you things like, oh, you're so great. Oh, I just love you so much. Oh, I don't know how I can survive without you. And instead of pointing them to the Lord, they're becoming dependent upon you. And so he cautioned me in that category, and I took that to heart. And I won't say I've always been perfect at it, but I have strived to uh, to be more focused on the very teachable, trainable people that uh, are receptive to input and spent as limited amount of time and energy as I could on the VNPs. I, I don't coddle a lot of people. 
I love people. I love people dearly. But if people are not interested in, in making positive decision and adjusting their lives to move forward, I'm typically not interested in spending hours and hours with them. You're very involved in the community. And as busy as you are, very, very involved. Why do you do that? Do you think it, do you think it really makes a difference? So I, I really do think it makes a difference. I feel like the church, especially among our Pentecostal and charismatic friends, historically, we've had a mindset that we are to be separate. And there are scriptures to suggest that separating from certain things in the culture are preferable. Although I, I would argue that uh, we've, we've carried that to an extreme sometimes, and it's created a leadership vacuum for people of faith. The kingdom of God requires our presence in order for it to advance. And uh, I think it was uh, Father Newhouse that said years ago that faith defines morals, morals define culture, and culture defines politics. I've taken that to heart in that I believe that in order for us to be effective in our culture and, and to be making changes in our culture, we have to be present. We have to be represented. We have to animate the character of Christ. We have to uh, reflect his love and his, his grace to other people. And we have to demonstrate his gifts in the context that he allows us to serve in. And so having a seat at the table and having a voice in the conversation can make a big impact on a community versus simply trying to protest, which is something that I see a lot of Christians do. From afar, we protest, we place you know, banners, or uh, we get out and, and uh, share all kinds of things on social media, many times provocatively. We throw a lot of stones, we criticize, but that's, that's not the way Jesus exemplifies things, and it's not the way that I believe he's called us to be. And so I feel like being present, representative, having a voice— even if that voice is sometimes overwhelmed by uh, other voices present, uh, it does have a tendency to at least make people aware that we are there and that we should have some consideration. I'm talking with Joe Cook, friend of mine and pastor of Hope Church in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. He's bivocational pastor. He has a full-time job. He's a busy guy, but he's taking the time to join with us today. Joe, again, I'm so glad you're with us. Before we arranged for this interview, uh, we we texted and spoke. You used the term small church, big impact. What do you mean by that? And, and in what ways does Hope Church fit into that statement? I think that anytime God provides you an opportunity and you approach it with sincerity, he opens opportunities up for you to make an impact. Like every other circumstance in life, we have to make a decision whether or not we're going to accept the challenge. Missions is something that is important to our church. Uh, my teaching pastor is uh, part of the In His Image group. Uh, he has private practice for a mental health professional. And his name is Joel Leach. I was going Leach. to say, In His Image is a family practice medical residency program. And so, Joel... Uh, has his own ministry. Joel primarily ministers in Muslim nations, closed nations. He travels extensively every year. We work with our pastor in uh, Lebanon. In fact, currently we're helping to raise money for them to secure a building of their own in Beirut. We work with a physician and who's also affiliated with Image, a physician in Egypt. And Joel frequents uh, that area. We work with several of our church missionaries in uh, in Kenya. And in uh, Latin America, where the circumstances are very, very depressed and the needs are profound, 
the month of October, we accepted the challenge to raise, we needed to raise $6,000 to help them secure a piece of property next to the church that we had previously helped build. And we ended up raising $15,000. Isn't that great? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, God just continues to exceed expectations. And I don't know who it was. The one one preacher said years ago, God has all the money that uh, that He needs. The only problem is it's in your pockets. You know, He's He's not limited on supply. He's limited on obedience sometimes. But our congregation is always giving and generous and responsive. We have other initiatives that we're involved in, and then we have uh, another good friend of mine has an orphanage in Fondu, Haiti. They're currently constructing a new school, so we're engaged in that effort. Our Our daughter has traveled quite a lot extensively uh, in Vietnam. She's also traveled to Haiti several times. We have other young people in our church that have visited Mexico. We have a very active prison ministry. I received a report from our our lead uh, prison minister last night. She said she made 18 visits on death row, led one person to the Lord. One person was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then at Jackie Brannan, which is the women's prison later on that evening, she led seven people to the Lord and eight people were filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow. God is doing things and we get the privilege to share in that effort. And I mean, that, those are just a few of the highlights of things that we're engaged in. You know, I like what the Apostle Paul talks about in Second Corinthians chapter eight. He talks about giving and he says the goal is equality in verse 14, chapter eight. The one who gathered much didn't have too much. And the one who gathered little didn't have too little. They didn't have the same amounts, but they didn't have more than they needed. They didn't have less than they needed. God used it and and made it so that the gifts are all pleasing, acceptable, and and good, and advance the kingdom. Would you prefer, and this is a weird question, I, I want your honest answer. Either way is good. Would you prefer to be the pastor of a larger church that could pay you enough of a salary and maybe some benefits that would make it possible for you to ditch that full-time job? Would you like that? Or do you like this idea of being bivocational? You know, I've toyed with that. And there has been seasons, a couple of seasons during the, during the 27 years of pastoral ministry, whenever I have had what a lot of people would call full-time ministry. I, I often say that I am more than full-time ministry. And in all reality, I've probably spent the majority of my ministry career working bivocationally. And if I have a preference, I honestly like the bivocational. And and I'll tell you, there's a few reasons why. One reason is this, I feel like a lot of my colleagues in ministry struggle sometimes to connect with men in their congregation because the men in their congregation are living an entirely separate life from themselves. For a pastor to place expectations on the men of the church, whether it be for prayer or fasting or contribution or work or service, whatever the case may be, it's easy for those men to say, well, he doesn't understand what I'm living through. He doesn't know what I do each day. He doesn't understand the power of my boss and the responsibilities that I have and all the stuff that I have to do. I I don't have that issue. I can say, look, guys, I do. I, I work 50 hours a week and I serve and I give and I pray and I raise my children and I volunteer in the community. So no one is any busier than I am or than I have been. And so that seems to resonate well with men. The other thing is, is it keeps me sharp and focused on on reaching out to people who are not like me. I feel like some pastors get really insulated to the point where they really almost don't even know a person who's not a Christian. Sure. And and that's no criticism. Uh, that's just by virtue of the circumstance and, and the responsibilities that they're tasked with. 
on right. a daily operational basis. So I'm not criticizing that, but but I do feel like that before I'm called to be a pastor, before I accept the minister gift of pastoral ministry, I'm called to be a Christian. And as a Christian, I'm called to go into all the world and preach the gospel. As a Christian, as a follower of Christ, as a disciple, my my first task, my first order of business is to be a witness for him. And I feel like that sometimes it's easy to get insulated whenever you're full time, so to speak, and to lose the opportunity to lead people to Christ, aside from an altar call, of course, but to have that personal one-on-one interaction with uh, with a lost person or a hurting person or a struggling person who may very well respond to your leadership uh, in a way that they wouldn't respond to someone else. So I feel like those two variables uh, entice me to maintain my energy and my focus and and uh, continue to stay locked in in this, in this capacity. You know the Barna Group. They've completed thousands of research studies. It's become a real go-to source for insights about faith and culture and leadership, vocation. They shared this in 2021, so just a year and a half ago or so. They said more than 4,000 churches closed in America in 2020. Over that same time, over 20,000 pastors left the ministry, and 50% of current pastors say they would leave the ministry if they had another way of making a living. What's happening? Is there any reason for us to be concerned? Well, I think there is reason for us to be concerned, but I think that what's happening is the last statement that you read. 50% of the current pastors say they would leave ministry if they had another way of making a living. And I think that reflects back to the question we asked about me being bivocational. I think so many people who are serving in pastoral leadership today have no ability to do anything beyond preach. And I'm not trying to be critical or condemn any of my brethren who serve in those roles. But I do believe that we have so created the vocational model to the point where we have separated ourselves from laity to such a degree that there is a disconnect. There is an emotional disconnect. There is a cultural disconnect. There is a spiritual disconnect. And so we are oftentimes going through the motions and creating these habits that cause us to answer questions that no one is asking. As a church, we should be engaged in the culture. And that kind of goes back to one of our earlier comments about my community involvement. I believe that One of the major challenges that our nation faces and one of the major challenges that our church faces, is the fact that we are not engaged in our culture. I think Peter said something about uh, judgment should begin at the house of God. A lot of people preach about judgment coming to America. A lot of people preach about judgment that's that's coming to the world. Well, we often dismiss and ignore the fact that God said that judgment should begin in our own house. So whenever I was a kid growing up, I always used to be uh, reminded that it would be important to uh, make sure that my own back porch is clean before I worry about someone else's front porch. I think that's the priority. That's one of the biggest challenges. Are there others? Absolutely. Could we talk about pay? Could we talk about contribution, et cetera, et cetera? But Barna has great information to share, and some of the information they share is actually really encouraging uh, in regards to millennials and Gen X and and their participation in church and and their uh, re-entry into church and things of that nature. Finances are not falling off. They've actually improved in a lot of categories. So so there's a lot of good information that we can build on as a church. I just think we need to look at look at some of these other categories and then be really honest with ourselves. Yeah, this has been a great conversation. Can we do this again sometime? Sure. That'd be great. Hey, thanks for joining me today. You've been a blessing really to my life. So you're a dear friend. 
and I don't spend enough time with you. I would grow if I did. I want to get together with you again soon. Bless you, buddy. Hey, friend, that's our show for today. If you enjoyed the content or you'd like to hear future podcasts, please follow us or subscribe so you can be notified when new podcasts are released. Until next time, this is Rick Shields. And on behalf of the Doorways Leadership and Influence Network, here's my prayer for you. May you have rest when you need it, strength when you want it, and joy when you least expect it. Until next time, may the Lord bless you as you follow after him. Thanks for listening.